Well, good morning. It's a privilege to gather with you on the Lord's Day. If you're a guest with us, my name is Raymond Johnson. I serve as one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. For all of our members and regular attenders, we just want to, to remind everyone as we approach the holiday week, uh, as we did last week, uh, if you don't have a place to enjoy uh, the, the holiday meal, we would love to welcome you uh, into our home. Uh, we, we stay here for the holiday. Uh, we open our home to those who are here and don't have a place to go. So uh, if you don't have a place to go or you just prefer not to cook, you're more than welcome to, to join us. Uh, we'd love to, to have you with us. Just find me uh, or Megan, my wife, here on the front row. We'd love to, to know so that we can just prepare for your plans to be with us and everyone else. We hope that you have a wonderful time. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we've been studying through John's Gospel. Our time together will be greatly helped this morning and far more enjoyable if you actually keep a copy of God's Word open throughout the duration of the sermon. And if you came without a copy of God's Word, you should be able to find one underneath the seat in front of you. There should be Bibles there. If you don't have a copy, you can call your own. Please feel free to just take that home with us. Consider that a gift from us to you today. We'll be in John's Gospel. You should be able to find it around page 886, and we're going to begin reading in John chapter 3, verse 22, in just a few moments. But as you're turning there, let me situate us afresh in John's Gospel. In the opening 18 verses of John's Gospel, we have very famous words where John teaches us that Jesus is the eternal Word made flesh. And then as we continue to read through that lengthy chapter... We see in the concluding 16 verses of chapter 1 that John teaches us that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the rabbi, the Messiah, the one whom Moses and the prophets spoke of. He's the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Son of Man. All of these wonderful, magnificent titles all attributed to Jesus in John chapter 1. So at the beginning of John chapter 2, he begins to show us that this Jesus replaces and surpasses Jewish religious institutions like marriage in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and the temple in chapter 2, verses 13 through 22, because they all pointed to him. Everything that they would have thought that these pointed to actually point to this Jesus. And then at the end of chapter 2, he writes very enigmatically these words, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Before he begins to introduce us to a series of people that Jesus assesses in John's gospel. Nicodemus, who we learned about last week, the great teacher of Israel in chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, someone that everyone would have assumed was on the inside of the faith conversation. But John teaches us, at least at this point in his gospel, is on the outside of the faith conversation. And then the Samaritan woman, an inbred Jew, a half-Gentile, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 45. Someone everyone would have thought would have been on the outside of the faith conversation. But John teaches us by the end of the conversation with Jesus is becoming an insider is on the inside. And sandwiched between those two famous episodes in his gospel is another person. John the Baptist, the final prophet of the old covenant, here in this familiar 
gospel but overlooked passage in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks to us with the same authority as if Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us today. Verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anin near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put into prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, his joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the word of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is a light unto our feet. It is a lamp unto our path. And Father, we pray that you would help us this morning as we turn our attention to your word here in John's gospel. If we are Christians, we pray, Father, that you would Help us to be driven into deeper faith and deeper repentance. Father, that we might grow in conformity with Christ. And Father, if there are people here who are not yet Christians, Father, we ask that you would do the good work of redeeming grace, that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear the beautiful truth revealed in the gospel about your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we ask all of this in the name of our God who has revealed himself to us, As Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen. One significant plot twist in Andrew Peterson's Wing Feather Saga revolves around Janner Igaby learning to live with the reality that his brother Tink is the rightful heir to the throne of Anira in the wake of their father's death. Janner assumed that since his father had died, and after learning that he was the firstborn, that he was the king. But his mother kindly tells him that Anira's kingship system is not normal. That Tink is king because he's the secondborn. Janner's title as the firstborn was to be the throne warden, the protector of the king. Though he's older, he is to humbly submit to and serve the younger. Though he is stronger, he is to gladly protect his brother. It's a marvelous story, and I won't ruin any more of it for you now, though you have had nearly 15 years to begin reading it. But I will say this. Janner had to learn that he had a part to play 
even though he wasn't the king. And it was a good part, even though he was a supporting actor, just as John the Baptist, and especially his followers in this passage, learned that he had a part to play in the great drama of redemption, even though he was not the lead actor. And it was a good part, even though he was a supporting actor, all of which teaches us that you and I, too, can rejoice that we have a, heart to play, a part to play, even though Jesus is the point. Three simple points will frame our study of this text to substantiate that claim in our time together this morning. The disciples' ambition, the Baptists' response, and the apostles' application. Notice first the disciples' ambition. Look with me again in verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Enin near Salim because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. After his encounter with Nicodemus in chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, verse 22, Jesus and his disciples go out into the Judean countryside on the way toward Samaria, and they remain there long enough for people to begin to gather toward Jesus and his ministry, and Jesus is baptizing them in the water. And as significant as that is, that's really not the point of what John is trying to underscore here for us, even though it's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus is mentioned as baptizing. The apostle's intention is to highlight the ways in which Jesus' ministry overlapped with John the Baptist's ministry. Verse 23, John was baptizing, and because water was plentiful in this location, people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Until John the Baptist was arrested by Herod and put into prison, his ministry overlapped with Jesus. So as we're reading through the Gospels, we see that John was preaching, and Jesus was preaching. That John was baptizing. And Jesus was baptizing. That John is gathering disciples to himself. And Jesus is gathering disciples to himself. It's an incredible time in the history of redemption. As John is preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus is preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The voice and the shoot. The prophet and the king. So incredible that some thought, that John was the Messiah. And others were wondering, how is it possible that this backwoods carpenter's son could be so profound? But the apostle tells us that when two popular preachers are involved in similar work, it's easy for both friends and enemies to get caught up in competition and comparison. Look again at verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. It appears that some of John's disciples start the argument... And it's an important argument. It's one that people needed to have in the first century. It's an important theological conversation because so much of their religion depended upon it. The matter of purification was significant. It was especially significant for the Jews because under the old covenant law, it was necessary for them to keep themselves ceremonially clean, to be pure if they are to serve God and please God and know God and draw near to God. 
But what began as a doctrinal conversation, the matter of purification, soon moved to a personal conversation. Verse 26. And they came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going out to him. Perhaps without even realizing it, the Baptist disciples were putting him in a situation where he's now competing with Jesus. All are going out to this Jesus. The dialogue has far more to do in John's gospel with the success of Jesus' ministry than it does to do with purification and baptism, which makes the careful reader wonder if the theological issue was simply a cover-up for the envy at the growing popularity of Jesus in the gospel. The very thing careful examination of the text reveals. Look with me again at verse 26. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan... To whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing. And all are going to him. The crowds are dwindling. And the Baptist's influence seems to be waning. So the disciples come to John and they politely remind him that he gave Jesus his start by identifying with him. And they come to John and they remind him that he's the one who actually thrust Jesus into prominence by testifying to him. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one who takes away the sins of the world. And that he needed to do something to get the situation under control because their prominence is tied to the Baptist's significance. It's the kind of sinful battle that rages in the heart when another one takes our place or gets the opportunity that we think that we deserve or the promotion that we know that we've earned or the spouse that we would like or the outcome in life that we've been praying for. It's the very kind of sinful battle that even exists among pastors when growing in attendance and revival break out in the church down the street rather than yours. The kind of sinful battle that creeps into our hearts when the standards of worldly ambition are foremost in our minds. I remember several years ago being in seminary after winning the preaching award, after having an opportunity to present a paper at a national conference, After having the opportunity to publish, being jealous of a friend who had the opportunity that I wanted, he got to be a pastor full-time. And instead of rejoicing for the friend, I'm thinking to myself, I could do that better than him. The ambition of the Baptist disciples prevented them from rejoicing in the fact that they had a part to play, but that Jesus was the point. It prevented them from seeing that John had a part to play, but that Jesus was the point. It prevented them from being able to rejoice in the fact that everything that was happening was not about them, but about Jesus. Friends, it's the same type of thing that happens in our lives. We all think that we are the starring character in our own life's movie, but the Bible comes to us and is constantly teaching us, you are not the point. You are not the one that's significant. It's not about you or your feelings or your prominence or your happiness, your opportunities or your outcomes. It's about Christ. So they missed the point altogether. Friends, I wonder if that would describe your walk with Christ this morning. Someone who's missing the point altogether 
because you're envious of what God has given to or entrusted to others. And you fail to see that one of the many things that you will praise God for on the last day are all of the prayers that God did not answer in your life and all of the desires that he did not satisfy because his plan for your eternal life is far better than you could have ever imagined this side of eternity. Friends, what God has given you is a part to play, and it's a good part, even though you are supporting cast. The Baptist disciples did not like his fading glory, so they approach the Baptist with their concern, and what they want is for him to act so that they can continue to be thrust into prominence. But by careful attention to his reply, we see that he redirects the conversation altogether. The disciples' ambition, notice second, the Baptist's response. Look with me again in verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. How did John the Baptist handle their ambition? He noted, verse 27, that all things come from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And because all things come from God, because they never conjured anything up for themselves anyways, because they were never able to make something happen for themselves, because God is the one who has provided every opportunity along the way, not them, not their ambition, not their educational opportunities, not their natural instincts or talents. Because of that, there can be no competition, especially with God, because God and God alone gets all of the glory and all of the honor. And then he reminds them of what he has been saying all along. Verse 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to flip back with me to chapter 1, verse 20. To the Baptist's very first words in the gospel. Before these very last words that we read in chapter 3, verses 27 through 30. His first words in John chapter 1, verse 20. When people come to him inquiring about who he is, wanting to know, are you the Christ? Are you the big shot? Are you the one that we should be looking to? Are you the one we should be paying attention to? He says in verse 20 of chapter 1, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. John is the voice, but Jesus is the light. John is the witness, but Jesus is the king. John is the prophet, but Jesus is the Christ. And he was not frustrated because he never got that confused. Friends, I wonder if you're frustrated here with God's providences in your life today because you've gotten that all confused. It's not uncommon for many of us to interact with people who have a high view of themselves. And it's not uncommon for me as a pastor to have new books or a variety of different things cross my desk. And at times, I am astonished by what I read. They're always written by very distinguished lecturers who are world travelers in high demand with large audiences before them 
described in their ministry in such a way that would make the Apostle Paul blush. But as a pastor who once introduced J. Hudson Taylor learned, after introducing him with many superlatives and extolling his greatness and all of his missiological influence before welcoming him, him to the platform, Hudson Taylor stepped to the pulpit and quietly said, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. And if the Baptist heard those words in heaven, surely he said, Amen! I am not the Christ! John the Baptist had no room for competitive rivalries because he knew who he was, that he was not the Christ. He was not the Savior, and he did not need to fix everything for everyone. Friend, I wonder if that describes some of you. You think of yourself as a Savior, needing to fix everything for everyone instead of pointing them to Jesus. He knew that he was not the Christ. He was not the focus of attention. I wonder, friends, if that describes some of you, pointing all of the attention at yourself online and in person, at work and at home. Everything is about you and revolving around your desires. He knew that he was not the Savior, and he knew that he was not the focal point. He knew that he was a supporting actor. Friends, I wonder if you know that this morning, that you are just a supporting actor in the great drama of redemption that revolves around Jesus Christ. And he learned to accept it and all that it brought, that it was still good. John the Baptist had a room for competitive rivalries because he knew that he was not the Christ. So he responds to the thought of Jesus' growing popularity with a series of powerful statements. He highlights first that God's providence determines all success, including ministerial success. Those of you aspiring to ministry in here, what God entrusts is good with the part that you have to play, even though it is and will be different than other people. He highlighted that everything comes from God, that he never conjured it up along the way anyways, that everything comes from his kind hand. Second, he reminds everyone, I am not the Christ, and he's not saying anything new. From the first word in John's gospel to his last words in John's gospel, he is constantly reminding everyone, I am not the Christ. Friends, as your pastor, one of the most helpful things that I can do is remind you that I and all of the elders who serve here with me are not the Christ. I will fail you. I will not be competent to serve you in every way. I will be absent because I have other things to do. I won't answer when you need me to. I'll fail to follow up when you send me an email. I cannot do everything because I am not the Christ. But what I can do is point you to the one who is, just like John was doing. Everything comes from his hand, and he's the one that we all need to be pointing our attention to anyways. And then he reminds everyone of what his role actually is. He's the best man. Verse 29. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I've done many weddings in my years of ministry. And over my years of ministry, I often feel that I have seen almost everything. But one thing that I have never seen at all in ministry is the best man trying to steal the bridegroom's bride on their wedding day. When everybody lines up in the room, everybody expects her eyes to be looking at him and his eyes to be looking at her, and nobody's expecting him to be looking at her or her looking past the bridegroom towards him. John the Baptist says, 
I'm supposed to be in the shadows. Nobody's even supposed to know that I'm here. I'm to make sure that the job gets done. I pass out the ring. I make sure he gets there safely. I make sure that day is conducted appropriately. And then I fade back so that he and they can take center stage. Friends, I wonder if many of us have it all backwards, that we're trying to thrust ourselves into the limelight. We so desperately want the praise of others and the attention of others and the approbation of others and the approval of others and the acceptance of God that we have failed to see that one of the things the gospel has called us to is to fade into obscurity and to push Christ right into the center in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our work, in our parenting, in our service at church, because you are not the Christ. John the Baptist never got this confused, so he was able to rejoice. My job is to get the job done and then take a step back. Comparing Jesus to the bridegroom and himself to the best man, he underscores that his task is now complete, using imagery that would have been very important to them, imagery that reminded them that Israel was in a lot of problems because they had been unfaithful. And Jesus has already come and said, all of these things point to me. These marriage ceremonies, they point to me. And John says, and now that that has taken place, that Jesus has taken center stage, I just need to fade into obscurity. Don't be frustrated. I am not the Christ. And he underscores that the task is done. Verse 30. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. The once great voice in the wilderness knew that he was not the Messiah. He knew that he was not the Savior. One of the great men of the ancient world. One of the most significant men in the first century. That not only the Bible testifies to, but ancient historians like Josephus testify to. One who's so significant that he leaves an indelible mark on the history of the world is able to say, I am not the Christ. And he was able to rejoice that he had a part to play, but that Jesus was the point because he understood what most people do not. I am not the Christ. And verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Some of us have an incredibly elevated view of ourselves, pushing ourselves up and right in front of others. But John understood that what he needed to do was to step back and fade off stage. Friends, to decrease like that, you must actually believe. You must actually believe that you, chapter 3, verse 7, must be born again. You must believe that the Son of Man chapter 3, verse 14, must be exalted. You must believe those things because it is the only way that you will ever decrease. If you don't believe that you have a need to be born again, to have God regenerate your heart so that you might see clearly for the first time, if you don't believe that the Son of Man is to be exalted, not you, you will never take a step back and you will always fight for the limelight. You will always pine after what the world has to offer. More money, more fame, more sex, more attention, more knowledge, more possessions, more traveling, more opportunities, more significance. But it is only when you realize that everything that the world has to offer 
is passing and fading, that you can confidently take a step back and say, I am not the Christ. And I rejoice. It was not my job, and it is in any ways. He must increase, but I must decrease. You want to help change the world? Learn what John the Baptist learned. That it's not about you. That your role is to step back and serve. To fade off stage and push other people into the center of it. Specifically, Christ. You want to help change the community? Decrease and minister among the body of Christ. You want to strengthen your relationships in the context of the church? Stop pining for attention and push Christ to the center. And rejoice that you still have a part to play. But Jesus is the point. The disciples' ambition got it all confused. They're worried about their mentor decreasing in significance, partly because it seems that they realize that their glory is attached to him. And like any person in the ancient world and the modern world, they want to attach their glory to his coattails. But the Baptist's response helps us see that they had it all wrong altogether. And then notice, third, the apostles' application. Look with me again in verse 31. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, notice here how John has transitioned for us from the disciples' ambition to the Baptist's response. And if you just look in your Bible and you see those quotation marks at the end of verse 30 the last words that we see John the Baptist speak in John's gospel. Now John the apostle, the one who's actually writing the gospel, reflects on the events for us to help interpret them. And the Baptist's response leads to the apostle's application. And the logic is not as confusing as it may first seem. We can rejoice that we have a part to play and that Jesus is the point. Because, verse 31, Jesus is from heaven. He he who comes from heaven is above all. John is from earth. Jesus is from heaven. John has temporary existence. Jesus has eternal existence. John is the prophet. Jesus is the Christ. John is a voice. Jesus is the king. He is from heaven. So give all of your attention to him. Why should you listen to John? Why should you believe John? Why should you think that the disciples have their ambition wrong? Because this one is from heaven. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. John has received a word. Jesus is able to speak directly because he has been there. Jesus is able to tell you what he has seen and heard because he was on site when it all happened. Yet no one receives his testimony. All are clamoring to other voices, but they're not clamoring to this one. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. And what has God said about this son? Just flip back to John chapter 1. Verse 1, what are some of the true things that God has revealed about his son in this gospel for us so far? In the beginning was the word, 
And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Drop to verse 14. What else has God said about this son? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. What else has God said in this scripture already about the Son for us? Flip over to John chapter 3 and just look at some of Jesus' statements here for us. Verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 10. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. John the Baptist and John the Apostle are testifying to us that this one is from heaven, that this Jesus is different than John. He was not simply called from heaven. He's not simply empowered by heaven. He's not simply supercharged with a message from heaven. He is from heaven, and so he is worthy, verse 34 of chapter 3. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He is worthy of worship He is worthy of exaltation. He is worthy of adoration. And all things have been given into his hand. Everything. We see everything was entrusted to him. And friends, therefore is the logic. If Jesus has everything, and if you have Jesus by faith, then you already have everything and will not miss out. John's disciples are worried about what so many of us are worried about that somehow we're going to miss out. We're going to get overlooked. That other people are going to get a better deck of cards than we are. That we're going to miss out on the glory and the praise and the opportunity. And so we fight and we clamor and we pine and we lie and we cheat and we steal and we lust after and just take opportunity after opportunity to satisfy desire because somehow we're afraid that we're going to miss out. But John the apostle knew what you and I often don't, that if Jesus has everything, and he does, and if we have Jesus by faith, then you already have access to everything 
and you will not miss out. Verse 36, because whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Life, not death. Eternal life, not temporary life. Eternal joy, not temporary joy. Everlasting life with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Glory that is unending in Christ. But if you're not connected to Jesus by faith, verse 36. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. One of the astonishing things in John's gospel here in verse 36 is that he turns the phrase for us. We would expect, because in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, we know his thesis is that we would believe in Jesus Christ. But he says here in verse 36, whoever does not obey, not whoever does not believe, and so doing connects for us. To believe rightly is to obey, that it is impossible to believe in the name of the only Son of God and not obey the only Son of God. That it is impossible for you to have true faith if you are not willing to be truly obedient. It is impossible for you to call yourself one of his children if you will not do what your Father has commanded you. That it is impossible for you to understand the upside-down nature of his kingdom. That by decreasing and letting him increase, you actually receive. If you are unwilling to do what he tells you to do. Friends, I wonder if that describes your walk with Christ today. You love a Jesus that you can believe in. And a Jesus who will save you and teach you. A Jesus who will help you and comfort you but not a Jesus that expects you to do anything that you don't want to do. John connects belief and obedience for us, and he tells us that anyone who thinks that they believe in the Son of God but will not obey the Son of God shall not see the eternal life that everyone else has offered. Shall not see, as we saw earlier with Nicodemus, is the same type of language for shall not enter. You can't comprehend it. It's an abstract principle. And you will not go in. You will never have it. No matter how many facts that you have straight, or how many books you've read, or what church you're a member of, or how long you've been a pastor there, that it's impossible. And breathtakingly, verse 36, the wrath of God remains on him. Obedience is to believe, but disobedience results in the wrath of God. Wrath that is horrible. Wrath that is terrible. Wrath that is eternal. Eternal life, eternal wrath. Conscious eternal life, conscious eternal wrath. Everlasting joy, everlasting pain. Because people refuse to believe and continue to disobey. Friend, if you're not a Christian here this morning, that's what awaits you if you don't obey Jesus by believing in Jesus. What awaits you is wrath, judgment, eternal judgment for your sins. Sins that you might not think that you've committed, but the Bible says that you actually have committed by not being or doing what God has commanded in his word, by not being righteous as God has commanded in his word. 
by not doing righteous things as God has commanded in his word. And you might think, I'm not that bad. I know a lot of really bad people. The problem here, friend, if you're not a Christian, is that that's not how the Bible measures things, whether or not you're pretty good and not that bad. The Bible says that everybody is in the same spot as our brother Daniel reminded us earlier. We're sinners by birth. We're born into it. And we're sinners by choice. We continue to deliberately choose sin. We choose sin over obedience because we love our sin. We love to have the things that we have and do the things that we do and think the things that we think and go the places that we go even when it's contrary to God's word because we love our sin rather than the Savior. And John tells us that our sin will send us to a place that none of us want to go, a place where there is eternal wrath. This is the only reference to the wrath of God in John's writings. And it's significant that he sticks it here for us as he once again puts us in a position where we have to choose. Why would we believe? Because what awaits us if we don't is wrath for disobedience by not believing. Friend, why would you not believe and trust in this Savior who comes to not make your best life now but save you from the wrath of God that is waiting for you. And he comes to save you from that wrath by doing for you what you could never do for yourself, living a perfect life, a life that you have not lived and could never live, and dying a substitutionary death on the cross for you. He took your place and bore all of the wrath that you deserve. He died the death that you deserve to die. And in God's wonderful mercy was raised from the dead and has ascended on high and has offered his spirit to all who believe if they will obey by repenting of their sins and placing all of their faith and all of their hope and all of their trust in this Christ who delivers and saves from the wrath of God. Why will you not repent, turn, and believe, obey, Why will you coddle your sin today and not cling to the Savior? Why will you trust the earth's lie and not plead the mercy of this Christ? John the Baptist was able to be content with the fact that God was fading him off stage because he knew that this Christ was the Lamb of God who takes away sin. He doesn't manage your sin. He takes it away from you so that you will not perish under the weight of your sin. Friend, will you come to this Christ? He is lovely. He is from heaven. He is the Christ. He must increase and he must be exalted. And if you'd like to learn how you can come to him today, you can simply repent and believe right now or you can find me or one of the other members of this church following the service and we would love to open the Bible with you and talk to you afresh about how you can come to this Savior. But Christian, this word was also written for God's people. And it is this teaching that is to motivate our obedience now. Because God has saved you from a hell that is terrible and wrath that is eternal and horrible, you are to obey. You are to believe and obey. You are to obey God's commands by loving God and loving neighbor. You are to obey God's commands by identifying yourself with his church. Friend, we teach you and we believe you have a moral obligation to join 
God's church and to be in fellowship with God's people. You are to serve God's church. Yes, you are to serve them by being a member and coming and participating. You are to serve by giving of what God has entrusted to you. And if you're not giving and contributing to God's church, you are in sin. But you are also to continue to serve by going out and snatching people out of the fire and pulling them away and pointing them to this Christ in whom all of our hopes depend. This Christ who is life itself, eternal life. Believer, where are you disobeying God today? For some of you, it's conscious. You know exactly what you're doing. You're hiding it, and you think that no one knows. And I'm here to tell you that you're not getting away with it, and God sees and God knows. And for some of you, in God's mercy, it's a part of sanctification, what we call your gradual growing righteousness. And one of the most healthy things that you can do is be in close proximity to other believers who will help you see what you don't see in your life, where you're wrong and you're walking in error and it doesn't matter how you feel, but you need to obey God's commands and follow Christ. Friend, if you're here and you need that help, we'd love to help you. We'd love to serve you today. Since he came from heaven, this Jesus represents the Father. And John tells us to reject this Jesus is to reject the Father and the wrath of God remains and abides on us because he is a witness firsthand of all the things that he testifies to. Just notice how many times it speaks of his witness and testimony in this section as the apostle reflects. He's a witness firsthand. He shares what he has seen with his eyes, what he has heard with his own ears, that those who receive it and act on it will be inheritors of eternal life when they obey God's word and put it into practice because that is the only way to rightly believe God's word by putting it into practice because the father has authorized the son to command them to do what perhaps they don't want to do. You see, we typically focus on God's love for the world, but John tells us here, not of God's love for the world. He tells us of God's love for the son that you are to obey. Look again with me in verse 35. The father loves the son. The Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He loves this Son and he commands that you obey this Son because it is only through this Son that you will escape the wrath of God. And you can rejoice when you're escaping that wrath that you have a part to play and the drama of redemption, but the focus is on Jesus. The significant plot twist in Andrew Peterson's Wingfeather Saga revolves around Janner's learning to live with the reality that Tink is the rightful heir to the throne in an era. And it teaches us the same thing that we see here in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. That though some of us are older, older in life or older and more mature in the faith, we are humbly to submit and to serve others. It teaches us that though we're stronger, perhaps physically stronger or stronger in the faith, that we must gladly protect what God loves, the honor of his son and his bride. It's a marvelous story because you can rejoice that you have a meaningful part to play, even though that you're not the central character, your supporting cast. You can rejoice as John the Baptist did that it all doesn't rely on you, and it can actually empower you to live in freedom. 
You can live freely knowing that not all depends on your energy, your intellect, your ability to conjure up a following or steward everything that happens to you, that you can just deflect glory for the rest of your life and live in that freedom as you point to Christ. Friend, will you do that today? Rejoice in the part that you have to play, pointing to Jesus, who is the point after all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truth. And Father, we ask that you would help us now, this side of studying your truth this morning, to believe and help our unbelief, to believe by obeying. Father, there are some of us here who need to obey today. We need to repent of our sins and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And there are others of us who are here today. We need to believe by obeying. We need to turn away from the sin that is dogging us. It is preventing us from thinking clearly. It is leading us down a path of destruction. It is disrupting our lives and the lives of other people here. Father, we need to repent and turn away from that sin and obey you by loving you and loving neighbor. Father, there are many of us who are here today that we need to believe by obeying, by doing what you have commanded in your word, joining with your church, serving your people, giving freely of what you have entrusted to us, telling our unbelieving family and friends and neighbors to trust in this Christ, to give up of what we think is rightfully ours because we know that everything has been entrusted to us by heaven so that we might rightly and gladly fade to the background so that Jesus can take center stage in all areas of our life. God, we ask that you would help us to do this today because we confess that we cannot do this in our own strength. It requires a supernatural work for us to really believe that we gain by losing, that we live by dying, that we have joy by pointing to another. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and continue in worship with us?